welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potzagire, your host, an artist and educator. Kababi talked about his journey as an artist and how he continues to grow both his practice and his business. He shared his creative process and the ways he overcomes challenges while creating. He also talked about painting murals in schools and how he becomes a role model for students, making his thinking visible and encouraging the use of mistakes as learning opportunities. It was so helpful hearing how he adjusts pricing and also has to work to overcome money mindsets. That made me feel a little bit less alone in this struggle. Kababi Bayak is an internationally known visual artist and illustrator living in St. Louis, Missouri. His subjects include family, children, music, and a bunch of other cool stuff designed with line, bold color, and funk. Bayak, whose birth name is Clifford Miskell Jr., adopted his name Kababi, creative black artist battling ignorance, during his time at Grambling State University. In 1997, a legal name change took place at the time of his marriage, and later Kababi changed his last name to Bayak, Blessed African Youth of Creativity, as something that could be shared with his future children. After working as a caricature artist at Six Flags over St. Louis, Kababi pursued a career as an illustrator. His first notable client was Rap Pages magazine. Through that exposure, he was contacted by Violator Management to create the artwork for the cover of the Violator Compilation Volume 1 album, featuring the likenesses of Busta Rhymes, Missy Elliott, Foxy Brown, Q-Tip, LL Cool J, Mob Deep, Fat Joe, and Big Pun. The year before, Bayak was approached to exhibit artwork at an organization called Dignity House in St. Louis, which was a beneficiary of musician Prince's Love for One Another charity tour. The volunteer team recorded the food donation event in 1997 and took the footage back to Prince. The rest, as they say, is history. Prince liked what he saw and collected Bayak's art for many years. On October 20th, 2000, the day Kababi's first child was born, Prince's management called to request samples of new work. Prince ended up using one of the pieces as the cover art for his 23rd studio album, The Rainbow Children, which was released in 2001. The artwork was also the centerpiece of Prince's first celebration event celebrating the Rainbow Children album and the reclaiming of Prince's name after the expiration of his Warner Brothers contract. In 2012, Bayak began his 365 Days with Dad series. This New Year's resolution to paint a positive image of black fatherhood each day for the entire year resulted in a journey that was inspiring and exhausting, ultimately resulting in sharing many stories of good experiences, no experience, and hopeful experiences of dads of all life stages. 
the project started a dialogue within the community about the importance of a strong foundation and support system for all children, no matter their age. Today, Kababi spends his time working on a variety of projects, including portraits, community murals, school murals, children's book illustrations, and he's always up for a new challenge. He likes traveling to schools and talking with students about their own power in determining their destiny, using his own life experiences as lessons. He also enjoys spending time embarrassing his three teenage children. Let's hear from Kababi. I am talking with Kababi Bayak. I'm so excited to hear from you today. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. So I like to just start with a little bit of background. Could you kind of share your journey, your story with us? How did you become an artist? And then I'm also curious about your involvement in education and mentorship teaching. I am, and well, I have been an artist since 1995, straight out of college. Yeah. I took my first class in high school, but didn't really think about it until I graduated. And then I went to, mm-hmm. well, I used to call it junior college. I think now they're called community colleges, but mm-hmm. I went to a community college in Belleville, Illinois. And that's when I kind of first got the bug that this might be something I want to do. And mm-hmm. so that was in Belleville. And then I got the chance to go to Grambling State University in Louisiana, an all black university and mm-hmm. kind of where I really kicked off and it, it became more than something I want to do, kind of became my identity. And so I've been, yeah, chasing, chasing the dream ever since. Amazing. And you have so much good experience that I feel like would be helpful to share, you know, how you went from going to college, being like, I really want to make art to actually making that your living. Could you talk about that and how, you know, what did that take? Was it like, I'm sure it was not easy. <laughs> was it was no, it no, like no. a long process? What was like the main sort of ingredient in going from like, I want to be an artist to, wow, I'm actually an artist making a living this way? Yeah, kind of along the lines of education, mm-hmm. let's say being a good student, not just necessarily in class, but just from observing and watching and learning. Like, I think the biggest thing I got from the first school I went to was we had an assignment to do an egg and blanket over the weekend. And mm-hmm. one of my classmates, he brought in an egg and blanket, but he also brought in a painting of, what is he, a painting or a drawing of his, some rope wrapped around his arm, which kind of baffled me because I wasn't a go-getter or a self-starter, none, none of that kind of stuff. So to see that kind of put the bug in my brain that you just have to do it, which is kind of the, the thing of artists we just even when there aren't clients we have to work like the practice mm. the work is the practice so i love that most of my murals are in schools because i get to tell kids pretty much my journey all the time and always i mean education is always part of everything but yeah i think my very first one of my very first jobs as an artist was a caricature artist at six flags and oh. the way that happened was you know they, they literally gave me a piece of paper like a little pamphlet to take home to look at how to draw a caricature. And then you start on the first day that the park opens. So it's just like real day one hands-on, which is Right, like no training. <laughs> no training at all. And so, you know, I just kind of I just kind of learned as I went. I watched how it wasn't necessarily drawing, watching people's body language and 
you know, mm-hmm. just and, and being okay with where I was, you know, which that's the one thing I always kind of try to tie to with students being okay with where you are, like, and not mm-hmm. saying what I won't, won't be able to do. Like on the spot, I had to do it to make a living, but people walk away if they don't like what you want. It's all commission-based. So it was mm-hmm. very stressful, but because of that job, I can paint in front of people. I can draw in front of people. I don't mind messing up in front of people because right. I've been through the worst of it. So now that I'm confident with what I do, when I put up something I don't like, it doesn't matter because I know at the end it's going to be great. So I just, so that's a lesson I got from that. But also I just mm. tell people that being okay with where you are and not so much pressure on what the next person can do because that has nothing really to do with what you can do. You can learn from them, but the way you draw is the way you're going to draw. You're not going to draw like the person next to you because... I mean, you just have your own rhythm and your own relationship with the pencil, pen, paintbrush, whatever. But mm-hmm. you just got to start with where you are and, and just take the steps to get a little bit better each day. And that's mm-hmm. kind of been my motto my entire career. Yeah. And then, I mean, I feel like that kind of ties into the project you did 365 Days with Dad. So it was a yes. series where, you know, talking about just drawing, doing a little bit every day, doing something every day. This was, you know, we're making paintings every day. <laughs> Could you talk about yeah. that project a little bit? Yeah, it was that was the best education I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2012, decided to do a Facebook-based project, which later moved to Instagram, where I would do a painting every single day of a Black father and his child or children. And it started off as a project I was going to do in order to sell a painting every day, just to earn an income for the year. Cause I was struggling to get my art going and it quickly became a commission-based project. But when I say it's the best thing I could have ever done, it's because I had to learn really quickly that I had to trust myself and I couldn't just sit there and stare. I had to mm-hmm. grab a canvas, grab the reference material, get a chalk pencil or whatever, and start drawing and then start filling it in and start figuring it out while I'm doing it. I had time to look at it and stare at it because I literally didn't have that much time. And right. I also had to learn that when something wasn't going well, sometimes the best option, no matter how many hours I put in it, was to just put the canvas aside because I always prepped them black first. So I, so I had a whole mm-hmm. stack of them ready. I just grab another one, start over. And sometimes mm-hmm. the restart would go very fast because I just kind of let the first one go instead of trying to sit there and solve something that wasn't solvable. So, but yeah, having done 365. So shoot, I did about 800, 900 faces real fast. So Uh. all of them weren't great, but (laughs) I did learn. I mean, it just, it definitely strengthened my eye. So I'm real good at portraits Mm -hmm. now when I take the time to do them just because that was some major hands-on training. Yeah, absolutely. That's incredible. And I love that, you know, figuring out that, it's not working. I'm just going to set it aside and start new. Did you ever end up coming back to the ones that you set aside or did you kind of like just gesso over them and like, <laughs> this is going to be something else? Oh yeah. I had no time. I just, I just grabbed black paint and just covered them up and started yep. it. <laughs> You're like, no, nope. yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like it's great to hear that too, that, you know, for, for us as artists and also for the kids that, you know, the students that we work with that, not everything you make, even when you are a professional artist and you do this all the time, you're still not making like not everything that comes out is perfect and beautiful and wonderful. Like there's yeah. still duds in there, right? Absolutely. And even when sometimes I'm at the mural and, and the wall yeah, and the kids are sitting there around me watching, I'll either smack mm-hmm. the wall where there's a face on it 
to tell him that, you know, the face isn't real. So don't be so hard on yourself if my eye is a little left to the right, mm -hmm. a little bigger, a little smaller, because it doesn't matter. Or while I'm looking at them and my face is away from the wall, I'll grab a brush and a part of the paint of the mural is done. I'll just run paint right through it, you know, just watch your <laughs> eyeballs go crazy. And then, yeah, I'll just smear it around and tell them, you know, I painted it once. I can easily redo it. Like, hmm. you know, but I'm not on the floor rolling around and having a fit because it's just paint. It's like, it ain't no big deal. Like, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Stuff happens, you know, so yeah. I try to get those real life examples on the spot. So that's the first thing they always ask is what do you do when you make a mistake? And I'm like, well, as a professional, you, you move through mistakes faster. <laughs> that's it. Mm -hmm. Yep. You don't sit there and pine. I mean, we we know privately, yeah, of course, there's sometimes it's just like, oh, I can't believe I just did that. But you can't sit there and ruin the whole, let the whole day be ruined over it. You know, you just got to mm -hmm. sometimes, again, I won't get those paintings that really matter that I do something on. And I'm like, shoot, I don't get rid of it. I just sometimes I have to just put it aside and just work on some abstract or work on or start another painting that's coming up just to get away from it for a minute and then come back to it either later on a day or the next day, you know? So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think that's yeah. great advice and so helpful for the kids to really see that process. Um, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then Absolutely. when you go in, when you do murals in schools, do you do sort of like workshops with the kids or is it more just, you know, they're, they're getting to see how your process works. Yeah. It's more about them watching me work and come around mm -hmm. and ask questions, which of course they don't always ask questions, but I kind of try and tell them what I'm doing. Um, like yeah. I just finished one yesterday where I had sketches, but the garden, you know, it was, a uh, the wall was around when the wall, the surfaces I was working were around windows and doors going out to a new garden. So they wanted Ooh. garden theme up and I had something else to drawing up and I was a little struggling with the, mm -hmm. I don't sketch well before I get to a wall. Oddly enough, mm -hmm. sometimes I nut, nothing clicks into the day I get to the wall and start. Of course it goes faster if I have some kind of preliminary idea, but a lot of times that's the hardest part for me. And I tell them that too, but it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm improvising on the spot. I'm taking cues from you guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just tell them I'm not terrified. I'm not worried because I know, from experience that, you know, once I work out the details in my brain, you know, it's going to work out. But no, it's pretty much I try to give them real hands on what's happening on the spot. Like why I came up with this, why the lines are doing this, why little stuff that you might notice, the stuff that guides me through the painting. Like, so I try mm -hmm. to get them to see how somebody else thinks mm -hmm. every now and then they might help. But for the last two years, most of the murals have just been, well, of course, with COVID, but most of them, they just, mm. you know, classes will come around and watch me work and ask questions but yeah that's that's kind of how it works kind of like Bologna's monk style yeah observation <laughs> right but I love too that you're you know you're not just like silently painting you're making that thinking visible like you're sharing your thought process with them and that's really helpful yeah because a lot of times the biggest part is just example you know we still don't believe you can be make a living being an artist so mm -hmm. I tell them I hope if nothing else, they get that from it. Like, this is my full-time, everything I do. Like, after I leave you right. guys, I'm either going to my apartment to paint, going to a studio to paint, going to another school to paint, or I got to work on sketches. Like, this is what I do every day. Like, yeah, it's a lot. And how how has the pandemic affected that? I know, you know, so many artists had, you know, so many things canceled, and I'm sure it was hard on a lot of people. But how did it affect you and your sort of, livelihood and just your your process like i'm sure a lot of things changed 
things definitely changed, but I had a really good season during COVID. I had projects that started before that, that I got to work on in my studio, Mm -hmm. which was nice because I I did a portrait here and there, which is strictly over the internet, which is great. And then as far as schools, I get, I prefer always to paint while students are walking around because even if just one student, every now and I can tell those who are really interested, even if I don't talk to them that much because they'll walk around a lot and they'll just kind of every now and then roam by and slowly walk by. So I know they're really seeing it and they're really usually very introverted and don't really talk, but I know they're watching. So that's why that matters. But yeah, a lot of schools, they wanted to create an environment that was different when the kids came back. So it kind of switched to that. So I was going and going in and working on murals while nobody was there. So that when the kids came back, they had a whole new burst of color to inspire them or, you know, it's all idealistic. Yeah. I don't know how much the kids really care, but <laughs> <laughs> it's funny though. Cause I was just, I was trying to write a lesson about like joy and how aesthetics contributes to that. And I think it does, it does make a difference. It does matter. You know, if you come into these, like, I don't even know what you would call the color. I feel like it's sort of this like ugly tannish, like, <laughs> like yes. vomit color of most schools. <laughs> Right. Absolutely. Compared to a really, you know, bright mural with, you know, all these colors and, and whatever sort of scene you're you're putting in front of them, it does make a difference in how you feel. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And too, if I tell them that something on there came from one of the classmates, you know, mm-hmm. hopefully word gets back to the classmate that they inspired part of the mural or you're right, even if they get the, they stand around having conversation about the mural and, and talking, you know, just yeah creating conversation they ain't playing ahead that day yeah so mm, it's usually it usually comes off like the teachers and, and administration are more excited than the students at least what they show right. me because you, you know how these kids won't you'll find out afterwards how much they love it but they won't tell you while you're there right they don't want to show it <laughs> no not at all uh, but i love right. that you, you know you'd mentioned noticing the same kids kind of making their way back coming back and forth and wanting to see the process and you know, quietly, like not making a big deal about it, but you're like, I see you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Those introverted art kids. <laughs> Absolutely. I was one of those. Mm-hmm. So I get it. Me too. Yep. Yeah. I would have been too shy to actually talk to the artist, but so excited and like so interested to see what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's a good point too, with the whole joy thing because it's mm-hmm. something I haven't done, but will do like they always give me ideas they give me a list of what they want so even being able to talk to them about the different ways it can be interpreted like this was my way or how if they give me a list of four or five things how i combine all that into this one thing like that's something that has to happen because i couldn't i can't put up everything everybody wants because sometimes the lists are real long but i tr- sometimes i try to see how can i like one example one mural i did didn't have a really big wall but i wanted to see a little girl with afro puffs they want to see they want to sports they wanted somebody with a disability. So I did a little black girl with Afro puffs sitting in a wheelchair with a, mm-hmm. with a basketball spinning on her finger. And I was like, oh, so that way cool. I could get to all that in one character on the wall and then mm-hmm. worry about feeling in the rest. And that's something that I had to do on the spot as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's nice to say that there are ways to, yeah, there are just different ways to approach everything. Like, there is no right or wrong. It's like, and I had to tell myself that too, like, Nobody knows what to expect, so just have fun and draw it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, 
and I tell them, I always relate the artwork to homework. Hmm. Like, you're like, how can I blah, blah, blah? How can I get to this? So I was like, well, it's like, I don't enjoy priming the wall. I don't enjoy taping the wall. I don't enjoy starting the mural. I don't enjoy just filling in the colors. I was like, I don't enjoy it till the last last day or two, honestly. And when I start shading and making patterns and like, that's when it's fine. That's like, so all the beginning is like homework. It's the stuff <laughs> right. you don't want to do, but I can't get to the part I love unless mm-hmm. I go through all the stages of school and every mural. So I got to <laughs> sketch it, which means I got to go home and study instead of playing with my friends. Like, like all that stuff is like done in this career, in this job, and in this mural, like I have to go through all that. So, yes, I love that I work for myself, but it doesn't mean I love everything that I have to do in order to do what I love to do. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. All those, all those steps that are like part of the actual process, but then there's also all the admin and marketing and all that kind of stuff that you have to do. I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit and how you how you approach it. Are you able to kind of like, do you have somebody else that can work on that? Some of that for you at this point? And if you do, how did you, how did you get to that stage? I've gone through several managers Mm. because, you know, as artists, we usually have terrible managers that don't know what they're doing (laughs) because people just don't know what to do with artists. But Mm. luckily now my um, fiance is my manager and has been since June. So she does everything scheduling. Yeah. Setting up my projects putting everything on the calendar like it's that's great so really all i have to do is mm-hmm. worry about the artwork worry about well, my, for me marketing is instagram and facebook that's where i let people know what i'm doing that's how people find me and and pursue me for work so mm-hmm. and i i love instagram so that kind of stuff is cool like that's no big deal so it's nice to have mm-hmm. someone that helps me but as far as i'm still at the point where i'm mailing out my prints and reproductions that i sell as a uh, mm-hmm another source of income, which I hope to one day hire somebody to do that so I can really just focus on painting. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I do have help, which is great. I'm learning more and more that that's uh, (laughs) vital. I don't even know what I might be. Yeah, I I wouldn't sleep or I'd be going crazy or I'd be missing work if I was doing Mm -hmm. it all on my own because it's just too much. Right. Yeah. And it is, I feel like there's this sort of curve of, you know, getting the word out about your work and getting enough business that you can actually afford to have that help to keep growing and keep, you know, moving forward with being able to paint more and more. Absolutely. Which now is great because now at this point, yeah, I'm just grateful that, yeah, we get emails almost every day with some mm-hmm. kind of inquiry about something, whether That's it's great. a mural or it's a portrait where it's being on the news, like it's nonstop, which is good. And yeah, it took a long time. It seems like, like I said, I've been doing it 25 years, but it seems like most mm-hmm. of it has been since the project in 2012. Like 365 Days of Dad was probably the best thing could have ever done because I think it took mm-hmm. me from just being an artist that people enjoy their work to an artist that has something to say or has a message mm-hmm. or is behind something. But it just created a different light on me where people seek me out mm-hmm. and they just see my work around the city so long that. A lot of jobs I'm getting are based on that project or just haven't seen my work since I started painting here in St. Louis. Like, you know, you just, mm-hmm. I think one message always is to tell people like, you never know who's watching you. Mm-hmm. You just got to keep on going. Cause you don't know if I feel like nobody's watching. I feel like anybody's paying attention, but you don't know what conversations are being had about you. If you just keep on going and putting yourself out there and letting people know you do it, you know, 
And I try to be transparent on Instagram too. Like the marketing also is about people getting to know me. So they're not just mm-hmm. buying my work, they're buying into me as well. So right. character is huge. <laughs> yeah, that's such helpful advice. I feel like for so many artists and, you know, back to that, you know, thinking of the art kid as this sort of introverted kid kind of having to get past that a bit when we're, you know, trying to be an artist and actually make a living as an artist, you've got to put yourself out there. And, you know, even if you are that introverted art kid inside, you've got to kind of break break through that yeah and i think uh, one thing is just being sincere because mm-hmm. i used to be self-conscious about not really having art language meaning mm-hmm. when i talked i didn't talk about contrast and balance and foreshadow you know negative space and just all these terms not even those kind mm-hmm. of terms but even deeper stuff that people say when they're talking about art like that was never my vocabulary which would make me mm-hmm. self-conscious about talking but when you just talk telling kids yeah just talk from the heart like why did you want to draw this why do you want to paint this why do you want to sculpt this what's the clay mean that you're using like don't worry about what you don't know just just say it honestly and it's okay like i think people are worried about saying the wrong things but i was like if it's your work and it's your heart like there's nothing you can say wrong like just talk you know and i was introverted forever i don't know what happened (laughs) but you know i just eventually fell in love with talking about my work public speaking like yeah, now I finally got to a space where not ever, ever shy, but it, it takes work. You know, it takes mm-hmm. <laughs> just like anything else. It takes practice. Yeah. But I understand the introvert. But yeah, we definitely I guess, you know, some people are scared to put the work on Instagram. Somebody's going to steal it. Yeah, that's the biggest thing I get. I don't want to put my stuff on Instagram because I don't want anybody stealing my work. I think, mm-hmm. Nobody knows who you are yet anyway. And if they're going to steal your work, they're going to steal it. Like that goes back to the character piece, like. You want people to meet you and know you, not just your artwork. Just your artwork is fine, but I think you get more longevity if people buy into you. Once you have, and I hate the word brand, but because that's thrown mm-hmm. out so much, but yeah, right. brand, your character, personality. And even if you're yeah. shy, you know, that's okay. Just as long as mm-hmm. they, you know, even if just in your shyness, you say thank you. And I appreciate you for even looking at my work. That goes yeah. a long way. You don't have to talk a lot. Just let people know that you, that you, appreciate that you've been seen and you've been and you care about mm. you know but that also goes to now thinking we're talking about education something i try not to get away from too much because i've been able to at this point but i tell kids be because i just because i keep my ears open just be careful who you ask because you always i always hear somewhere in the room you know what do you think about this when they're asking another classmate i'm like oh that's such a setup like you mm. you got to get to the point one again being okay with where you are you're not supposed to draw like the person next to you. And some people just say stuff without thinking, you know, if, that comes from me being a caricature artist. People used to talk behind my back, literally like right behind my back to the person mm-hmm. I'm drawing about how good or bad the drawing was. Oh. <laughs> and it felt terrible at the time, but again, that gave me a skin. Like now I don't, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I have no, I have no care whether they, right. cause I paint for me. You know, I paint to my own standard. Even when I'm in a mural and people think the mural's done, I'm like, no, I still have some days left. This is just mm-hmm. the beginning. Like, I, I have my own standard. So mm-hmm. I try to take it. It's like, just be cautious of who you ask if they like your work because at the end of the day, you need to like it because somebody's criticism with an unskilled eye could deter you from a direction that could have worked out really well from you. And But just somebody mm-hmm. making one statement might make you throw away something that could have been one of your best tools in your toolkit. So yeah, 
because everybody's worried about doing stuff right or doing it the cool way or the way that's popular. Nope. Just do you let your voice be your voice. Even when it seems like nobody matters, you don't need that many people to like your work to be successful. Right. And I think you showed that just putting yourself out there every day, like that, that really builds so much momentum. Absolutely. That was huge. Yeah. I'm seeing, I just was kind of like looking through all of the things that you've done. And I just saw that you illustrated the new book by Ibram X. Kendi. <laughs> that is super exciting. <laughs> Again, a job I got from 365 oh, Days of Dad. And wow. They were like, we love their Amazing. project. That's the kind of feel we want for this book. And I was like, wow, the book just keeps mm -hmm. on, keeps on giving. That's, that's incredible. How was that process? Was that the first book you've illustrated or have you all have you done that in the past no i've done others i do the books on my ipad with procreate mm. so it's all digital oh, cool. um and yeah they reached out ooh, the beginning of last year at the end of uh 2020 yeah they reached out and said they wanted to do this book and man it was super exciting mm. i had to wait of course on the transcript because they reworked it a lot before it got mm -hmm. to me but once it got to me, I think I worked on it for about three months. So a little bit of back and forth on mm -hmm. concept and idea. I worked prim primarily with the graphic designers. It wasn't near, near the end where some of the illustrations had to get approval or some direction by Kendi based on his vision of his of what, what he was trying to say with the text. But for the most mm -hmm. part, it was pretty uh, seamless. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty seamless. It was stressful because it was such a big job. But yeah, once I found the sketch... You know, that's the hardest part for me, getting a sketch of painting and coloring. Mm -hmm. I can do that in my sleep. But <laughs> just coming up with the composition, that's, that's, that's not always easy. Yeah. Well, that cover looks gorgeous. It's perfect. Well, thank you. I'm excited yeah. for that book coming out in June. It's going to be great. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, it, just reading the little description. So dreams allow children to envision a world where all children and people can live and thrive free of judgment and pain. I wonder how that connects also to your 365 days with dad. Yeah. And one of the ideas was the fact that so many kids don't have dads. Mm. So painting an ideal image of what they could do when they became an adult. Like you can't control mm. the situation you're in now. And it's not to look at the project and think about what you don't have and what your peers may be experiencing. It was more of a, you know, the book is the, the 365 Days of Dad was 365 snapshots of single mm -hmm. moments. So just saying that, yeah, you build a relationship one moment at a time. So mm -hmm. you know what it feels like to be the recipient in, as a child without the parent there. So maybe this can inspire somebody because a lot of the dads and i've had this discussion recently with some people like a lot of dads who were portrayed that are awesome dads now didn't have dads but they've made it their mission to not put their children in, in, in the space that they felt so mm -hmm. yeah it's all about promoting what you'd like to see and not necessarily what you are you know are going through at the moment like hope yeah yeah looking to hope and breaking those cycles absolutely yeah. I mean, I think life and society is all about breaking cycles. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's so hard. <laughs> yes, it is. We are like fish in a, in a, in a school. Like we just, 
you know, the current and the group is going this way, I guess I'm going that way too. Like, you know, it's mm-hmm. hard to be the one to be like, no, I'm good. Let me turn around and go the other way. <laughs> right. <laughs> so much pressure. Saying like, I think this way is a little better. Right. Absolutely. Uh, it's tough. Yeah. And then it makes me think too, whether having your own kids shifted the way you work with and talk with students when you're working at a school. Did that change things or were you were you doing sort of murals in schools before becoming a dad? Now, most of the skills, the murals have really only been since 2018. So I've done all those in the past three, four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the past three years. So no, I wasn't back when my kids were young and I was still in the home with them. I was mo- mostly working yeah, in a room or in the basement. It was never, I mean, they saw me painting all the time, but we ne- <laughs> it was never something that was really talked about. It was just what dad did. Yep. <laughs> so I don't know if it influenced how I, um, I think the way I work with students has just been based on experience and getting mm-hmm. the same questions asked all the time and, and thinking about how I answered them after the, the group was gone and then knowing what to say the next time. I think it's all been trial and error. Yeah. So you've painted a lot in St. Louis. Do you also kind of travel and do murals in other places or, you know, have like exhibits in other places? More and more. Recently went to Iowa and Nicole Hannah-Jones started a 1619 Freedom School. And I didn't know, see, I didn't know she followed my work. So she asked me to come up there to do a mural for that. So we did that um, in January, I believe. And we're going to, I don't know if it's the headquarters, but offices for uh, UCC, United Church of Christ in Ohio in March to do a mural. I'll be there for two weeks. But the, and funny enough, the pastor, one of the pastors is somebody I was kind of close to here in St. Louis who mm-hmm. happens to live in Ohio now. So, you know, I want to credit that for, you know, us having a good relationship, how that came about. And I went to North Carolina when I go in 2020, right when early in the pandemic. No, it was right before mm-hmm. the pandemic. So that was either 2020 or 2019. I did a visitation center for the city where parents came to get reconnected with the children that were in the system. They wanted, mm-hmm. they wanted something on the walls besides it just being white, just to create a feel around mm-hmm. family and the importance of children. So that was cool. So I haven't gotten out a lot, but the jobs that I've had out of town have been awesome. And yeah, I just say once this school thing opens up, like I've done a lot of schools here, but I mean, how many schools are there in the country? Like the, the possibilities are endless. So yeah. yeah, I'm just waiting for that floodgate to open. Yeah. And I've seen, I saw there was some, one of your posts was sharing how, you know, teachers have like written grants to have you come in or the school like gets a grant to have you come in and do a mural. So any educators listening, you know, there's your possibility. Yeah. It's been through grants. They've, some, they've been through the school's budget. They've been from PTO mm-hmm. raising money. I've had, I've done one mural where the students sold buttons and yeah. that was, that was the money to pay. That's how they raise the funds for me to come do their door. So, yeah, there's, I mean, people get real creative. Yeah, it's great. Yes, it um, is. Yeah. And then thinking about like outside of the mural work. So you're, you know, traveling around even just within the city. Like that's a lot to be traveling and doing these different murals. But then you also have commissions and then you're, you know, selling prints and doing your other paintings, how does this all kind of fit in? 
Like I know you talked about having your manager is really on top of scheduling and I'm sure that makes a huge, huge difference. But I'm curious, like what does a day or a week in the life kind of look like? Yeah, it doesn't help that she's my fiance because <laughs> yeah, if I go to a mural from nine to six, she'll tell me that you worked from nine to six today, you know, because in my brain, mm-hmm. I'm like, there's so much more to do. She's like, you worked all day. Because, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have to take care of you. <laughs> yes. Rest has to happen. I mean, I'll be 50 mm-hmm. this year. So I, I never remember. I, I love that. I love that. But I don't think about it like that because yeah i could literally come home and paint at the easel yeah. i could draw my ipad work on the next sketch so mm-hmm. it's i'm not good at scheduling i'm kind of how i feel in the morning if it's not a mural because i i really want to be a studio artist really mm-hmm. bad as well like i know that's not as glamorous and it's not it's not work that's already sold it's mm-hmm. just work i want to work on and ideas right. and and series, you know, I, I have a series on this that I want to do and a series on that, mm-hmm. you know, but, but those take time. But while I'm grateful for all the murals and the portrait request and other stuff that comes, yeah, I have some pieces that I really look forward to working on, you know, but it's a, it's a hard balance because sometimes, I, yeah, I'm not in the mood to go work on a wall or I'm not in the mood to mm-hmm. work on a portrait, which almost always changes once I pick up the brush and grab paint. Because I love painting right. so much, I just have to get past what I'm painting and just look at. I have to look at what I'm working on, and mm-hmm. also while I want to work on so many things, I constantly think of Mr. Holland's opus. Like there's this, I can't, you know, I, there's this one show I really want to get on. I I can't wait to start the series, but I, I tell myself that the whole body of work, you know, is the opus, like the gift. Mm-hmm. The the painting, the piece is every brushstroke every day. Like mm-hmm. it's the whole it's the whole body of work. It's not just so I, I try to do that so I don't feel like there's something I'm not doing. Like mm-hmm. what you know, whatever I think the dream fill in the blank is, I'm working on it every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so beautiful. What, yeah, whether I'm in a school, whether I'm in a studio, whether I'm on my iPad, they're all part of you know, my same body of work. So Yeah. hmm Yeah, I think that's really helpful. Like Two, two big things that I heard and kind of picked up on in there. One was the professionalism. Like if, you know, there's days where you're like, I have to go do this thing. I don't really feel like doing it, but that you've, you know, even if you don't feel it, you've got to get up and go do it. And once you start that you, you get into it, but you know, having that professionalism to go ahead and, you know, even though I don't want to, I'm going to go do what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> Absolutely. But then also having that mentality, because I think so many artists, like there is artist block, but I do feel like so many artists have way more ideas than they have time, (laughs) like way more ideas and you just can't get all of them out, at least not right away. So having that thought and that mindset that it's all part of my work, like my opus it's a long-term thing. I don't have to get every idea out right now. Yeah, I feel like that's really helpful. And also now that I have a name and I have a lot of people who follow me and a lot of mm-hmm. you know people that want to be artists, I'm getting a new studio on tap for either this year or next year is to get an assistant and to get some uh, one or two apprentices because Ooh. the way I work, I can have other people block in my colors once I have the sketch up. Mm-hmm. So I'll, that'll be a way that I can get a lot of the stuff 
a lot of my ideas done if I have people start campuses for me. Yeah. Because once the campus is started, all the fun stuff on the end, you know, I can put on a song and knock that stuff out. You right. Know, you can get to a point the, where like those parts you said were not really fun. You don't have to do anymore. <laughs> nope. Well, I do it now, but the goal is to yeah. hire somebody. I know it'll matter. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing now that marketing and all that, where I have to not kind of start over, but we have to figure out a way to build a collective base for paintings. Mm-hmm. One, not just because they're paintings, but two, because the painting prices have gone up tremendously. That mm-hmm. means there's a whole different, it's a whole different demographic mm-hmm. that I need to find, which, I mean, I, I'm learning more and more that they're already out there, that people will spend money on paintings. Luckily, I've been in a place where I, I haven't needed to rely on that, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't necessarily want to make posters and prints of everything I do. I like yeah. the idea of people just having one painting, you know, cause I know I can digitize anything and put them in a book, you mm-hmm. know, but yeah, just, that's one thing that I had to build up. Um, is that, that a customer base for the paintings so that I could, uh, yeah, just have a one so I can hire those assistants to do that, you know, that the work won't go mm-hmm. in vain, you know, so yeah, cause I need that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be incredible. And it is a really good and like interesting point you bring up about as you grow that your prices go up and then it means you're potentially like leaving behind some collectors and and reaching for new collectors but then like you talked about selling prints and posters and that you know those first collectors might be in that range at at, at this point and then you're like looking for the next the next level of you know people that can can be your next collectors and that kind of always is going to keep happening right as you grow absolutely because one thing when i did the 365 days of dad i made all of them 200 dollars Oh, wow. Yeah. 18 by 24, no matter how many people were on the fan, 200. So you wow. got 300 people that bought those. Mm-hmm. So, of course, some of them are coming back now wanting, you know, you did a piece for me, you did a piece for me. You know, I think in 2014, I took the paint, the price up to 500, whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, here we are in 2022. <laughs> I got Amber. <laughs> she's like, you know, we're starting at three grand. I'm like, what? <laughs> and it's like, yeah. She gets, she'll, she'll come back and every now and then she's like, yeah, I gave somebody the price for this and price for that. And they said, okay. And, I, and I'm just like, wow, I just, I can't believe you did it. Like, because my, I just, that's one part that I do struggle with. I have no problem mm-hmm. charging for my paintings. I almost feel like the portraits and I kind of put the seed in my own brain with the 365. It's kind of like my community service. Mm. So to go from this $200 price, I need to associate it with just that project and and the importance of the project that I did, not mm-hmm. where I need to stay. So com- drastically changing the prices has been hard for me because, yeah, it does cut out so many because I have so many people that love my work. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, in my mind, I'm counting their money or I'm like, man, do I want somebody to give me five grand or 10 grand for a painting when they got to take care of their kids? And, you know, I'm just thinking mm-hmm. of all the stuff I don't need to be thinking about. I need to just focus on doing my work and if people want to buy they buy it i offer lots of free productions so i always have something that people can get but i I hate when people can't get something of mine so that's something that i have to work on like and accept it yeah you've given 500 to a thousand people art at a really great price you've you've done enough yeah (laughs) right it's okay to charge more now yeah yeah and then there's i feel like a lot of times you know especially when when you are not like in your current collector base, if that makes sense. Yes. When it's like, I couldn't buy this for, you know, a thousand dollars or three thousand dollars. 
Why, right. How am I asking other people to do that? Like separating yourself from that can be really hard. It's hard for me. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I don't think, yeah, there are, yeah. I think most artists couldn't buy their own work. No, I just say right? that. It's hilarious. No matter um, the price. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm always trying to trade with other artists. Cause I'm like, well, I can't afford your work, but <laughs> I have plenty of my own work sitting around. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. The well, barter system. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Alive and well in the art world. <laughs> yes, it is. It do you is. do that at all? Do you like barter with other artists? I had in the past. I haven't really. Yeah. Now I, yeah, I have artists who I admire. So I've, Mm-hmm. make it my point to buy something from them mm-hmm. just because i know yeah i know that uh yeah. the perception of uh success on instagram and facebook isn't necessarily reality that people are still mm-hmm. need that next sale so yeah i try when i'm having a good few months and got a little piece of change to go ahead and purchase something that somebody did that either for myself or for the home or yeah mm-hmm. yeah but, that's great too yeah, and there's the artist support pledge. I don't know if you've seen that or used that at all, but it's, you know, that sort of like hashtag on Instagram that says, I think I want to say it's like 10% or maybe you can decide your own if you use it, that like 10% of my profits from selling my own work goes back into buying work from other artists. No, I had not seen it. Yeah, I think it's just artist support pledge. Okay, I'm going to look which that is, up. Yeah, which is great. It's a great way to like if my success also equals other people's success. Absolutely. Mm. Well, kind of getting to wrap up questions, I have one really broad question that I like to ask everybody. So what are you curious about? Could be in your practice or in just in life in general. How do I get my work to go from the way it is to 3D? So that's Ooh. what I'm curious about. Mm, that's yeah. exciting. I'm curious what the work would look like in like toys. Sculpturally. And sculpture. Yep. Ooh, yeah, that would be really cool. So that's something I plan to um, dive into. Ooh. Yep. I could even see, yeah, like 3D printing some some stuff too. Absolutely. Ooh. Yep, those are next <laughs> steps, next stages. All right. Now I'm curious about that for you too. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm going to have to keep my eye out because that sounds really exciting. Okay, fun, kind of silly question. What is your favorite food? Ooh, my favorite food, I would say scrambles. Mm. Either with egg or the vegan product, just egg. But I love mm-hmm. I love the egg with vegetables and sausage and different seasonings. Like I don't know what it is, but scrambles a nice, refreshing meal that I can mm. eat for breakfast or lunch. Sometimes nice. dinner. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Keep it easy. Yeah. So many combinations. Yeah. And then is there anybody you'd want to give sort of a thank you or a shout out to? Definitely shout out Amber. She's been huge. When we got together, she was working and just the way that she vibed and the way she talked, I knew she'd be an amazing uh, manager, but Mm -hmm. she actually quit her job last year and started her own business. And one of the larger components of her business is running my business, which has been huge and allow me to spend more time creatively and allow me to get more rest. So yeah, yeah I definitely send a shout out to Amber for being a dope partner and a dope manager. Amazing. Yeah. So important to have those people. Absolutely. Last thing, where can people connect with you online? I'm most active on Instagram and it's just mm-hmm. at my first name, Kababi, C-B-A-B-I. And 
in my Instagram profile, I have a link tree link that they can find all my other stuff. Facebook, my website, which is kebabibayog.com. And I even dance and play on TikTok every now and then. I love it. Awesome. And I will link to that as well. So everybody can check the show notes and find the links. Thank you so much, Kababi. This was great. It was really nice to hear more about you and your work and all the amazing things you're doing. Well, thank you. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or Teaching Artist Podcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.